This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong. Innovation is the name of the game for entrepreneurs as they want to take their businesses from good to great to globally recognized. And Beth Davis has been at the forefront of many company success stories like, you know, little brands like Tesla, Apple and Microsoft. Uh, So I have her on the line with me today to share her thoughts on company culture, scaling the workforce and leadership development, amongst many other subjects. So first of all, Beth, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Could you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I am thrilled to be with you. So thank you for having me. And I am in Silicon Valley. So in the heart of where the companies are that you just talked about. Uh, And I spent my career really in learning and development and had the pleasure of working with teams at Tesla, Apple, Microsoft, and The Gap. Um, So it started off actually in clothing. I started my career actually as a lawyer, but very quickly realized that wasn't what I wanted to be doing. I wanted to be in the heart of business more. And so quickly shifted, got into business, and then spent my time with these with these companies. Fantastic. Now, I think the companies that uh, you've had experiences with, generally speaking, are known across the world for having really interesting examples of leadership. So I wanted to get your thoughts on how you feel leadership can be developed in a company. Yeah, leadership is is... So interesting, and that's really actually a a pretty hard question to answer. Mm -hmm. And it, frankly, too, it actually is a question that is moving, because what I've seen recently is the definition of leadership is even changing. Mm -hmm. So here's how I would answer that for you, Christine. The first thing is that for us to be able to develop leadership, we have to first say, what is leadership? What are we talking about? Are we talking about leaders, say, executive leadership, where we're talking about skills like visionary leaders and strategy skills? Are we talking about the leadership skills that managers need? So goal setting and giving feedback and those sorts of things. Or are we thinking about leadership in this new way, which is to say that everybody is a leader? Mm -hmm. So we see this a lot in Silicon Valley, which is that everybody is expected to be a leader, whether it is presenting their idea or on a project that they're working on, that they're expected to step into a leadership role in a project or to lead a meeting. And in that case, they may need skills around, say, uh, communication, motivation, uh, you know, some of those types of skills, empathy, uh, emotional intelligence. So the first thing is to know for you, when you're thinking about leadership, what what is leadership to you and your company? And then to take advantage of all of the resources available to us today to develop people. So it wasn't that long ago that the only thing we had was classroom. But now we have not only classroom and and, um, Zoom classes, but we've got wonderful videos and e-learning courses and articles. And so we can actually use all of these resources, mentors, Um, you know, peers, projects to really develop skills. And so what this also means is that we have to think about leadership development, not as a single experience, not as a two-day class, but something actually that takes a long time. So it has a long time horizon so that we even give people the opportunities to learn from their experiences. So how do we develop leadership? By taking a long haul view 
and really nurturing it over time using this plethora of resources available to us today. Right. No, I totally agree. I think, as you mentioned, leadership and the idea of it has really shifted, you know, uh, back in the day, it was very much so, okay, only, let's say, like management or the boss or the founder of the company is like the leader. But, you know, nowadays, it is so important for everyone to sort of take on leadership qualities as well. And also, I love the fact that you mentioned that there are more resources available to us now more than ever to like teach yourself, right, about how to adapt to some of those skills that is needed. Um, And also the fact that, it's a continuous learning experience, right? I don't think you ever really stop learning uh, more ways to be better as a leader or to gain more leadership skills in life. Absolutely. One of the things that you just said that I love was you said that you can use these resources yourself. We are in an age where you no longer need to wait for your manager to select you to send you to a course. Mm -hmm. If you want to grow as a leader, take advantage of all of these resources, right? You can, on your own, sign up for some of these courses. They aren't even that expensive. Many of them are free or learn from your experiences, learn from the people around you. One of the things I encourage people to do a lot too is to take existing experiences that they're having and make the decision to turn it into a learning experience. Mm. So instead of just attending a meeting, take some time to observe that leader that you really respect And ask yourself some questions like, what are they doing that is making them effective? Can I also do those things? Mm, If that's not my style, that's not my way. How can I adapt that so that it is my way? And then go try it. And you may not be as um, successful as they are right away, but you will with time and experience as you refine your skills. Definitely. And I love that idea of, you know, like leadership styles can definitely differ from person to person, but t- sort of taking the stuff that does work for you and uh, fitting that into your own personal style of leadership is, I think, really important. Now, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, customer experience as well, because uh, the companies that you've worked with, again, you know, there I think uh, a very good example of this would be Apple. There's a very specific aesthetic. There's a very specific experience. You walk into the store, you see the genius bar, all this jazz. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about your approach to uh, shaping customer experiences? I'm so glad you're asking. I learned an enormous amount about the customer experience from my time at Apple. One of the roles I had there actually was I was in charge of training for the retail stores for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So very familiar with that retail experience. And what Apple was really focused on in the retail stores was they had a, a phrase, which was to surprise and delight the customer. And that really drove everything that was happening in the stores. So that when we think about um, things like delight, right, we delight a customer when we make their experience easy. We delight the customer when we meet their needs and then even go a little bit beyond. But when we think about surprise, surprise is a level of excellence that is just outside of what a customer was even thinking about. And when you think about the power of surprise, what surprise does is it makes an impression on somebody and they say, wow, and then they go and tell their friends. Uh, And so this idea of surprise and delight, right, just really forced us to say mediocre isn't good enough, um, but we've got to have an experience that keeps people coming back. The challenge in part becomes we then have to be very consistent about giving that experience, So that when you think about some of these big brands, so 
you know, I definitely learned this in all of these companies that I've worked at. Mm -hmm. When you think about what is a brand, there's two important things that come with a brand. One is awareness. Are people aware of you? And the second is, what do they think of when they think of you? So associations. And if people say, ah, yes, I know company X, and they are horrible to the environment, or they're horrible to their employees, or they're horrible to their customers, well, that person isn't going to be a customer of that brand. But if instead somebody says, oh, yes, I know Apple, and every time I go there, I have a wonderful experience, and there are these ways, too, that they've surprised me. So now the associations are positive, and that's what keeps somebody coming to be a customer over and over and over again. So you have to consistently deliver these experiences. Mm. That is so interesting to me because, you know, I think that it definitely makes a lot of sense when you think about it that way. But there's that, I guess there's a challenge, right, in having to deliver surprises, which by their very nature are not going to be consistent but you have to deliver them consistently? I mean, tell me a little bit about uh, about that. Oh, I, I love what you're saying. Right. And, and there's the, part of the challenge, too, is it keeps forcing you to up your game, mm-hmm. right? Because what I did yesterday that was a surprise is, a, is now expected. And so it, it forces you, right, to keep, to keep continuously getting, getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of it is that sometimes it's the surprise in even the smallest ways, you know, the, the piece that says, um, you know, gee, somebody just bought a, a heavy monitor and to say to them, you know something, let me actually carry that out to your car for mm-hmm. you. Like what? Wait, wait, really? You'll do that for me? Yeah. Right. You know, so that surprise doesn't have to be a, a big thing. It doesn't have to be, I'm going to give you a hundred dollars, mm-hmm. you know, us, I, I, I talk in us dollars. That's right? fine. It doesn't have to be, I'm going to give you, you know, a hundred dollar discount, or I'm going to give you something for free. It can just be these small ways that we're basically saying to customers, um, I see you, I see your individuality, and I'm just going to do something that helps to acknowledge that. Right. And that causes the customer to go, Oh, I feel special. And that's a surprise and a delight. I mean, again, that goes back to those skills that we were talking about earlier in terms of leadership development. It, that's, you know, a lot to do with like empathy and listening to the customer and observing, you know, what could be a small gesture that will make their day, right? You know, absolutely. And I, that makes me think about a definition that I once heard about leadership, which I really think goes to this customer experience piece as well. Mm-hmm. And what I had heard was when you think about what makes you a leader, what makes you a leader is Others decide to follow you. And so you've got to say, what are all of the things that I'm doing that are going to cause other people to decide to follow me? Mm -hmm. Um, Especially when we're talking about leadership, not just being about a title. And the same thing really becomes about that customer experience. You know, a good customer experience isn't something I define as the company. It's something our customers define. So you really have to put yourself over and over again in the customer's shoes and say, is this the kind of experience that's going to cause them to say, I want to be a customer of this company and of this brand because I feel respected by them. So, right. So, so understand the power of the decision that is being made by these people you're trying to impact and design what you're doing as a leader, as a customer experience giver um, around this decision power that they have. 
All right. Well, it's time to take a short break now for some messages. But after that, I will continue my conversation with Beth Davis here on Raise Your Game on BFM 89.9. Beats, funk, mixtapes. BFM 89.9, the business station. Listening to Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong, and on the line with me is Beth Davis, and she has been at the forefront of many a company success story with names like The Gap, Tesla, Apple, Microsoft, and we're just talking about you know leadership development, customer experiences before the break. Uh, but now I want to talk a little bit about company culture because I think that it's such a fascinating topic to discuss. For you, you've seen a lot of companies go from that initial uh, kind of startup feel to massive corporations. And I wanted to ask you, how do you maintain a consistent company culture even as a company grows and evolves over time? This is one of my favorite things to talk about because when I joined Tesla, we had about 800 employees. Mm -hmm. And when I left six years later, we had 33,000. And this was something that we consciously focused on, which is to say, how do you have that kind of growth and preserve your culture? And so what we really did, and it worked, what we really did was we said, first of all, what is our culture? And we realized that culture wasn't about ping pong tables, Culture isn't about bringing your dog to work. I mean, those are nice perks. Mm -hmm. But culture is really about the the things that make us unique, those things that are our DNA, those things that allow us to interact together or solve problems in ways that nobody else is solving them. So when we were going, getting ready for that very first growth spurt, some of that initial core team said, what is it that is making us unique? What is this secret sauce? What are these things that we must preserve as we grow? And even though they did this as an early team, anybody can do this. You can do this later in a company. What is it about us that makes us unique that we want to preserve? And they articulated those. And then they started to identify lots and lots of examples where these are true. And I want to be really clear, Christine, that I'm, ta- I'm not talking about values. Values are aspirational. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they'll put values on a wall and people will say, well, those are great, but we don't do those. Mm-hmm. These culture pieces were true from the day that we started talking about them. And so we were able to tell story after story of things we were able to accomplish because of our unique DNA, because of our culture. So for instance, one of the cultural tenants was um, competitive to be the best in everything we do. Mm-hmm. And we knew we had to be that way because we, we were a startup. We had limited resources. We needed to get a lot done in a short time. And if we weren't competitive to be the best, we just weren't going to get it done. We weren't going to get it done at the level that we needed to get it done. Mm-hmm. So... We had lots and lots of stories where this was true, things like needing to install equipment um, in order to produce the car with um, an aluminum body. We needed a particular kind of of, um, press line. Mm -hmm. And people said, well, gee, for that press line, you're going to need to spend $43 million and it's going to take you nine months to install it. And we said, we don't have nine months. We only have three And we're not willing to compromise and go for a different kind of press line because we need it at this quality. Um, And so we actually found a used press line that was clear across the country. We found it for 25% of the cost. Um, And using our own 
brain power, our own determination, our own competitiveness to be the best, we got it across the country and reinstalled in three months and were able to do what others said was impossible. Mm. So the fact that it was true, it wasn't aspirational, and we could tell stories like that, allowed everybody coming in new to say, ah, I understand the company I'm joining. I understand how the company operates. I understand how the company has solved problems. And I understand that this is what's expected of me. Mm. And so it's that articulation and that storytelling right from the time people are joining. We even would tell people these stories while they were candidates and interviewing so that they could even say, is this the right company for me? Is this a place where I can operate in these ways? Mm, I see. And, you know, one thing that has been discussed, especially over the past year, is the idea of, you know, company culture being supported even remotely as well and how much of a challenge that has been for a lot of people. I mean, it's kind of easier, right, to uh, be able to tell those stories and to be able to facilitate those expectations when you are kind of working together in the same uh, office or space. I mean, can you give me your thoughts a little bit on, I guess, the effect of remote working on being able to maintain a consistent company culture? Yeah, I think some of the storytelling is actually easier through mm-hmm. technology, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can um, do some things like get the people who were involved in those stories um, telling them themselves on video. Mm-hmm. So instead of it being that childhood game of telephone where, you know, somebody else down the line is telling the story and not telling it maybe correctly, you could actually go to the people who lived it, have them tell the story and get it on, on video. Um, One of the things that we did at Tesla that really helped, we created a video series that we called Three Minutes On. And so we would take a topic that was sometimes seen as big, but you really realized, you know something, if we have a three-minute conversation, we can cover a lot of ground. Mm. And we would get the expert and we'd have a three-minute interview with them um, and then send that out to everybody. And there was something about everybody being able to hear from the general counsel or everybody being able to hear from the chief technology officer that helped to make everybody one company and to be able to say, we're all in this together. We all have access to the same voices. And that helped to create cohesion um, and a feeling of a team, even when people were dispersed. Mm. And of course, right now we're dispersed because of COVID. But, you know, right now, Outside of COVID, we've got global companies where people are dispersed even um, outside of a pandemic. Mm. So in a way, there's no real excuse. (laughs) I'm not big on excuses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No excuses. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I think where I want to go from here is I think that transition as well into a bigger corporation. I think there's a strange um, kind of middle period, right, where the, where the startup, where, you know, as you're like starting to expand and starting to grow, there's things that start to feel different and, and potentially like there's this idea of like startup culture versus corporate culture, I guess, which, you know, for any company that's growing is an interesting transition to make. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that a little bit. It's really an, an astute observation of yours. One of the things that I've seen in working with startups and then as they mature is that the types of skills sometimes um, start to shift. So as a company hits an inflection point. So it's not uncommon in a startup 
that you need people who have a real high comfort level with ambiguity, Mm -hmm. who are able to get a lot done with minimal resources, who are able to step into a lot of roles and even, you know, step outside of their roles. And they're willing to be inventive. And, you know, and those are just some things about, you know, being in a startup where it's like, I know this is my primary function, but, you know, we're all in this together. And then as a company grows, you hit different inflection points where you really start to say, wow, we've gotten to a point where we need to create more systems and some more processes. And sometimes the people who were really good with ambiguity don't like being in an organization that is really big on systems and processes. They may say, oh, this feels like bureaucracy and it's not the same company anymore. And we have to make that okay. We have to be able to say you know, that sometimes the, the skills that make somebody highly successful in a startup um, may not make them the right person as the company grows. And maybe some new people are going to come in. There are some people who are perfectly um, able to move with those transitions as, as well. But the skills definitely start to change when it starts to become more specialized as an organization um, grows, right? You know, the, the idea of I, I could wear a lot of hats. Well, now actually we have somebody who's wearing that hat you used to put on. And so now your role gets more specialized. Um, and that's just that's just natural. I think one of the things that's really important is the more we can recognize that there are some things that are just normal. Hmm. These are the normal things that happen. And if you're somebody who likes ambiguity and suddenly finds yourself feeling like you don't belong anymore, don't take that personally. That actually means that the company that you've been creating has grown and that's a sign of success and it's normal. And yeah, it may mean that you're going to move on, but you're not going to take all that wisdom and all that um, experience that you gained and you'll go now help somebody else and do it again in another organization. And that's okay. In fact, that's normal. Uh, and so I think we need to, to celebrate that, um, that normalcy. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. Uh, I've, I just have one last question for you. You've worked with these really massive, globally recognized brands and companies uh, across your career. And I just wanted to ask, what do you think sets these companies apart? And, you know, what are the main, uh, I guess, uh, key takeaways that entrepreneurs can take to learn from these companies? Probably the biggest thing is how mission-driven these companies are. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot that gets said about being mission-driven, but you have to be truly mission-driven. And what I mean by truly mission-driven is you don't just write it once and stick it up on a wall. You almost think of your mission as a tent and then start to say, what are all of the stakes that I need to put down that are going to hold that tent in place? So what am I going to do to communicate about the mission at all hands meetings? What am I going to do to reinforce the mission in blog posts? What am I going to do to um, help people understand a change we're making by connecting that change back to the mission to let them know we recognize that this wasn't working as we think about the mission and so we're evolving. And so this, this isn't just a single statement, but being so connected over and over again to the mission is just super impactful, super powerful, and really pulls a team together. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, that is an amazing insight. And I really have loved our conversation today. I think uh, we've managed to cover quite a lot of topics, but quite honestly, I feel like we could talk for, you know, hours and hours and hours on end. Thank you so much, Beth, for speaking to me today and sharing your experiences based on your very lovely and successful career. It has been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
All right, that was Beth Davis. If you'd like to hear more from her, she's going to be speaking at the Malaysian Global Innovation and Creativity Center, also known as Magic's uh, eNation Virtual Series One, on the 31st of March. I'm Christine Wong, and you've been listening to Raise Your Game. If you've missed any of today's podcast, you can go ahead and download the app that's available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also head over to our website, bfm.my, or you can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts, including Spotify. This has been Raise Your Game on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station.